business. The blog and podcast for game changers and innovators in the construction industry. Hello and welcome to episode 80 of the AEC Business Podcast. I'm Arnie Heiskanen and my guest is Ken Dooley, Technology Director of Granlund and Doctor of Science. Ken, it's great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Arnie. Well, I've helped Granlund, uh, your company, with business, IT and innovation strategies over the years. And you've also been involved. Um, but actually, we haven't talked about your background. I, and I saw you on your LinkedIn profile that before you came to Finland, which was, was it uh, like 10 years ago? Yeah, just over 10 years ago. Yeah. You worked in London at uh, Bureau Happold and Australia. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about your career choice and, and, and those days? Yeah, my, my background then is as a kind of building services engineer. So I worked in bureaus in London for for five years, working on some really cool kind of international projects. One of them was the uh, Boston Museum of Fine Arts. We did a kind of renovation there. The office was quite famous at the time because it had designed the Millennium Dome. Um, so, so, so some of those projects were still there. So I kind of did five years uh, working in building services really understanding the kind of energy of buildings and really had an opportunity to work on building sites and actually design a project and see it kind of opened um, over many years. So that was really, that was a really good kind of learning experience. And then I spent kind of six months in Australia after my five years in London, where we kind of skipped a Northern Hemisphere winter and went to Australia for the winter. And um, I worked there as a kind of sustainability and energy kind of expert in buildings. Yeah, sounds fascinating. So, but of all places, you came to Finland <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and landed a job at Granlund. But since you entered, the company has grown considerably and, and also it has changed. Can you explain a little bit about how the company has changed and how you have changed over the, the last 10 years? Yeah, I think one of the great things about coming to Granlund compared to, let's say, some of the ways in UK and Ireland um, buildings are designed is that instead of it being a kind of multidisciplinary house here where we have structural engineers and fire experts and kind of facade engineers and, and civil engineers and, and let's say building services, there's an expertise here in building services, which in one way from the outside sounds like it's limited and we don't have the spread of knowledge over the whole construction kind of expertise, but actually allows us to understand the full life cycle of buildings. So it allows us to um, be on the design side of things. And then once the building opens and there's continuous kind of improvement and monitoring and and kind of uh, checking that everything is okay, it allows us then to have that full kind of life cycle view. And I think that makes you a better designer. So that's one thing here that's been really useful. So we have a design element and we have software that, that, that is monitoring and kind of checking up on buildings. And then we have a consulting side of things as well, which is using that software and other software and other kind of uh, studies and then making sure buildings are efficient or sustainable or, 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 or kind of moving in the right direction. So that full life cycle view is, is something that I really, really appreciate that, that we have here. Um, <clears throat> when I th think about you, I, I often think about innovation technology and sustainability uh, and, um, and sustainability is something that could be like an all-encompassing idea or it can be just a number like co2 emissions but what is sustainability to you 
Yeah, really good question. So I ran our sustainability side for six or seven years, um, maybe finished that maybe two or three years ago. And then just last year, I finished a PhD in Aalto University where I was really looking at kind of innovation, uh, kind of business models, um, kind of strategic management um, with a focus on environmental sustainability. And I, I think it's actually still a really loose and, and difficult topic to, to kind of pin down. I think um, my current work, um, really looking at a city perspective, I think it's kind of somehow finding the balance between all the new kind of focus with regards to health and well-being and trying to find this perfect win-win solution between people having better services, having healthier lives, and somehow combining that with a kind of more sustainable city or more sustainable society. I think the example we use quite a lot is something like mobility as a service. If you can convince people to give up their own private car and not have these kind of single car journeys, I think there's a lot of uh, mobility as a service happenings at the moment, things happening, then potentially they save time, they, um, they're a bit more healthy because they're walking to and from the bus, sometimes they're using cycling, um, they have more kind of choice of the solutions they're using, and if if we and maybe they save some money by not having to have their own car, and if we can deliver those kind of end user those citizen benefits, then the city gets less congested streets and the city gets um, less emissions. I really think sustainability has been a, a difficult sell um, over the last you know I've been working in it maybe ten years, and I think we need to find these solutions that that have this win win on both sides. I think that's been kind of difficult to do. But I think we're getting kind of better. I think things like sharing economy are, are allowing us to kind of think that way and deliver those solutions. So I, I think we need to find that win-win. And I think those opportunities are there. Sharing as well maybe allows us to kind of have more circular economy products. So, you know, the famous example is a washing machine that you buy and two or three years later, the motor breaks. And I've done this myself. I've called a mechanic out to get it fixed. And the mechanic says, okay, your clothes washing machine motor is broken, but it's cheaper to buy a new washing machine. Mm. So now there are these kind of circular products where you, you, you rent a washing machine and pay per wash. One of the companies is Bundles in the Netherlands. It's cheaper to use. It's a modular product. It'll never break. And that's an example of, of helping people to kind of be sustainable by having some kind of combination between a really good service that people can use, and then essentially it's supporting circular economy business models. So I think we're slowly moving in, in that direction as opposed to the old-fashioned um, you must turn off the lights when you leave a room or you know the, the, this kind of you must do something that, that maybe kind of limits performance or, or that you have to give something away to get. I think there's definitely those things that are needed as well, but right now I think we need to find this win-win to kind of gain momentum. Yeah. So you mentioned your uh, doctoral dissertation already. Um, can you give us a little bit more information on that? What, what was it all about? Uh, yeah. Um, so I was studying basically how change happens in, in, actually I was studying large organizations. I looked at some really big UK retail companies and some really big Finnish, let's say technology companies. And we were just looking at how the kind of tipping point where somebody goes from a company not being very active or, or trying to be active and, and what are the things that happen inside an organization that really um, that really kind of combine to make them much more sustainable. 
the big company that we looked at, it was kind of a 10 or 15 billion turnover Finnish company. Um, it was kind of really interesting. There was just some small things that, that, that happened inside the company, really small, let's say almost behaviors that were stopping them from being really sustainable. One of the examples was um, they were they were they had a really short delivery time of their products around the world. They maybe had six weeks in their delivery time, and every time a delay happened in their supply chain, they had to send things instead of by sea or land freight. They had to send things by air. So it turns out that it was costing them lots of money. It turns out their emissions were much higher, and where people said, you know, we need to smooth things out in our supply chain. We need to stop having these delays. One of the things to do was to basically just ask the customers, could they have an extra maybe two weeks? Could it be, could it be maybe seven weeks, eight weeks? Um, and, and that way they would kind of meet their deadlines. Things would go by land and sea. They'd save lots of money and they'd reduce their emissions. But there was this fear internally that they would lose customers if they, if they kind of reduced the lead time of their products that they kind of historically had. And in the end, from a cost-cutting exercise that came around the kind of 2011-12 kind of credit crunch, they kind of went to their customers and said, can we deliver things a little bit later than usual? It'll help us be sustainable um, and all of these things. And the customers almost immediately went, yeah, okay, that sounds, that makes sense to me. The customers were very practical. They said, let's agree eight weeks. But if we agree eight weeks, then please don't be late. And actually, in a, in a, in a way that kind of really shows how much the customers bought into this, when the customers now want things quicker than eight weeks, they pay for this kind of, you know, expedited delivery. So we see these big impacts. I think their their transportation emissions reduced by 27% through through some of these actions. And there was a big saving there, both financial and both environmental. That was always there. That was completely limited by, let's say, behavior or fears of, of not being competitive. But a couple of conversations internally and externally with some customers really, um, really kind of smoothed the way and really made it happen. So there are these kind of just kind of road bumps or these kind of um, kind of stops in, in, the, in the, an organization that are kind of limiting things. And if we can find them and rationally explore them and discuss them, then there are kind of big kind of savings there as well. Another quick example is that, that they were their packaging for their equipment was kind of really old fashioned and they were using timber crates instead of um, kind of cardboard, which had been adopted by con consumer electronics. The customers always had um, timber and just said, we want this, but it made their, their transportation um, efficiency really, really low. And they had to really, really explain and teach their customers why the more efficient, more sustainable packaging solution um, uh, you know protected their products as much as the old-fashioned solution the customers originally said no uh, we want what we've always had we don't want you to break anything um, but actually through some education and by demonstrating in their internal logistics that everything was safer they finally kind of taught their consumers uh, or sorry taught their customers um, kind of the, the benefits and, and they got there in the end but but it was just kind of almost an irrational fear of change sometimes that is kind of holding us back. Yeah, sounds like it, yes. <clears throat> but also it's very encouraging that by making these rather small adjustments, uh, once the, the customers approve, approve them, you can reach tremendous results. <laughs> very, yeah. Very, yeah. But then other thing that I know that 
that you've been involved in and, and Groundwood especially uh, is is um, good at is digitalization of processes and digital technologies and and this has been happening in the industry for let's say three to five years we have seen increasing interest in, in investing in technologies and so on but how do you see that as uh, as as providers of services and as as us as users of, of the built environment where is it taking us yeah um this has been kind of a, an interesting space for the last i don't know plus five years i'd say you know when smart city first arrived it, it was really delivered by IBM and Cisco and some of these kind of big companies saying, you know, we have technology, let's kind of make cities better. Um, and then maybe generation two of smart city was really this idea of those companies, those big technology companies combining with cities and those kind of combination of, of two entities trying to make cities a better place, whatever that means. And I think for the last maybe two years, there's maybe slightly longer, there's been this feeling of, that it's kind of a, a, a citizen-centric or a, a citizen-driven development in cities. And I think from our work here, even just looking at kind of energy planning or even building planning or kind of transportation planning, we used to see these buildings as these kind of islands that we took care of, of ourselves. Um, you built a building and you kind of put all the car parking on your, on your plot. It didn't really matter if there was public transport nearby or what the kind of local services were nearby, we saw buildings as these kind of siloed islands. But now there's a much kind of bigger focus and, and we have been trying to move from a building level to kind of a city level in every way, either with regards to local infrastructure um, and, and, and all of those things with regards to kind of kind of promoting public transport and, and, and building spaces in, 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 in the right place with regards to kind of uh, user experience or with regards to kind of um, environmental impact. So I think we are getting better at, at kind of moving our kind of designs or our developments into, into, being, into being connected into, into a kind of a city uh, focus. And I think, I think that's something that I'm really interested in as well um, and really looking at this um, user-centric, this citizen kind of experience point of view and how that allows um, a better um, citizen experience, a better kind of value for the built environment, but also kind of makes the, the, the actual city infrastructure, let's say, more efficient and let's say more sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. You, you talk about the citizen-centric approach, which is, I think, also is the future of, of this development. So, um, but that leads us to your idea to to start a podcast we actually met a couple of weeks ago and you were talking about this idea and i gave you some tips and uh about maybe about the technical point point of view and um, i think it's a wonderful idea and i encourage you to do it but what is it going to be like your podcast and 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 where are what what are we going to hear in in the future yeah, yeah. So I think some of the things I've mentioned um, is really the, the direction I, I, I want to kind of move the discussion in. So the podcast will be called actually Citizen Centric is the name of the podcast. It's the citizencentricpodcast.com. Um, and the real focus is, is like I've mentioned a moment ago with mobility as a service, that if we um, solve everyday problems of people and we do is with kind of really intuitive, easy to use tools, then we can kind of create this win-win of 
um, user benefit, uh, simpler, easier, better lives for the users, so improve quality of life, and also have some operational efficiency and, and environmental impact reduction from, from a city perspective. Um, Chris Boardman actually is the cycling czar in Manchester, where they have uh, some problems and they're really focusing on cycling. And his idea, or his kind of focus and kind of point of view is that they have this kind of problem of congestion in the city. There's a lot of traffic. There's kind of climate change targets that they want to meet. And they have um, a kind of obesity problem or a health problem in the city. So congestion, um, environmental impact, and let's say making the, city's, the citizens more healthy, he kind of sees it as, okay, we need to promote walking and cycling in whatever way we can. So that's another kind of perspective of, of again, this kind of win-win that we make people's journeys quicker, we make them healthier or help them to be healthier. And then as a benefit, the city is, is less clogged and, the, and the, the air quality is better and the environmental impact is less. And I think this has kind of jumped a lot with, you know, things like being able to call a taxi or an Uber by pressing one button and the, the payment for the taxi is, 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 is all taken care of because you've, you've, you've booked it on your phone. I think we talk a lot about the kind of city bikes, for example, that Helsinki has um, and the kind of apps and the user interface that's super easy to use has made them much more viable. So if I'm in a hurry in the city and I, I don't want to walk the, the 10 blocks or the two kilometers I want to go to, then the idea is, okay, I'll get a city bike. But in the past, you would kind of walk two or three blocks to a city bike station. There's no city bikes there. You would get kind of upset and angry. You would say, I'm never using these silly things ever again. And you, because you were already late for the place you were going, and then you had to move on. But now we have the idea where just something as simple as opening an app on your phone and seeing the nearby bike stations close to you and seeing, okay, there is a number of bikes there. I can get a bike and I'll be fine. They kind of have this tipping point effect of making these solutions really easy to use. So all of the kind of mobility elements of seeing public transport in real time, having on our phone a kind of journey planner that allows kind of taking the bus in, in a new area much simpler, all of those kind of digital tools um, are creating a, 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 this kind of tipping point or this much easier to kind of use some of these things. So we see um, mobility as a service as being a real focus. Um, it has this idea of giving you lots of choice, of potentially saving you time because you can use the one that, that suits you most, um, hopefully saving you money and hopefully making you healthier. We see things like Airbnb or WeWork or co-working as being space as a service. So allowing me to not have a desk um, in, in an office that's fixed and kind of wasting energy or wasting um, space. Um, and I can kind of use a, a space in a co-working um, uh, building wherever I am that day. And we're starting to see things like items as a service as well. Um, I know Rema, the Finnish brand, have just launched kind of um, kids clothing as a service where um, you your kids grow out of their winter clothes or their that it's because of the cold temperatures in Finland, they have to wear kind of really expensive and kind of warm overalls, but they grow out of them every six months, let's say. So Rema will give you a kind of package where over the first five years of your kid's life or whatever it is, um, they as they grow, you take the clothes back and you, and you kind of get more more overalls. And the Helsinki City has been really been promoting this in the Varamo um, website as well, where you can book 3D printers or these kind of equipment that, that's in the city libraries. So we're starting to see that as being something that's growing all the time. And I'm hoping that it, that it delivers this win-win of 
improving the quality of life of the users or the citizens, but making the system, in this case, the city or the city infrastructure kind of more sustainable and efficient. Yeah, I, I, I remember that you mentioned that at the personal level, you also have been uh, looking for these opportunities like you mentioned skates, I, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I, I have three kids kind of all below eight. And you buy a pair of ice skates and you and they're used four times in a winter and then next winter comes and they're too small. Um, and maybe you're going to hand them down to the next kid, but you've bought one kid pink um, ice skates and you because you weren't thinking of it on the day you bought them. And the little boy needs convincing to wear pink ice skates. So um, I'm really looking forward to having item libraries and having things like um, winter uh, DIY tools is a big one. Um, having kind of winter sports equipment or having kind of alternative sports equipment such as um, different, uh, let's say, cargo bikes are something that many people in cities have said. The one thing holding them back from not having a car is doing the weekly shopping. So either they can get it delivered or they can go and, and rent a cargo bike at their nearest big supermarket uh, and drive their, their, their groceries home and then drop the cargo bike back again. So this is something that's, that's definitely growing. We see, um, we see there's been some interesting things already in Helsinki on DIY tools. Um, so hopefully there's more of these services coming. And, and I'm definitely one of the first customers to, to, to jump on board. And you are going to talk about those things on, on your podcast as well. So, so do you already have uh, some guests uh, lined up? Yeah, the next guest actually is the head of development at the... Um, at, at, for kind of smart cities in the, in the United Nations. Um, it's United Smart Cities is the name of the kind of organization. They're the kind of main, um, let's say, partner for the UN. And we have uh, Tom on in, in, in the next episode talking about some of these things. So I think that um, many of our listeners are now keen on, on tuning in. So how can they find, find the podcast? Yeah, so it's the the website is citizencentricpodcast.com and it'll be on all the uh, normal uh, places you find your podcast and, and the title is Citizen Centric. Okay. Um, and on Twitter, it's at city underscore sen um, as the handle as well. So so maybe over time, Citizen Centric will evolve to city sen, where the last three letters are C-E-N, I don't know. <laughs> um, that's the shorthand I've been using in my head for the last while. Very good. So, but otherwise, uh, you can you you can be uh, found on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it's Ken Dooley on LinkedIn, and my Twitter is at Ken Dooley as well for for yeah. for various work things that are happening around built environment and sustainability and innovation. Yeah, Ken, it has been a a great pleasure talking to you, and um, I thank you very much for for this uh, opportunity, and all the best to your work. Okay, thanks, Arnie.